Hey Geekscapist, I'm here with a good friend of mine and a fellow Geekscapist, Neil Johnson, who actually listens to the show, and you've been listening to the show for like two, three years, Yes. and you've never been on, which is like an oversight on my part, like, because like, well, I think what you do is actually cool, you make sci-fi movies, Yes. and we see each other at conventions, you definitely make the kind of stuff we should be talking about on Geekscape, Yes. and you even listen to every episode of Geekscape, yet we haven't had you on. This is true. Well, I think part of that was my fault because I was working on Starship mm -hmm. and I, I thought, I don't want to come on there and say I've got a movie coming out in one year or six yeah. months because it's like, people are going to forget. So I, I figured it'd be better if I come on the show when I have something to really talk about. Starship Rising. Starship Rising. There's a trailer out. It's on YouTube. Search for Starship Rising. You'll see it. Um, it's a pretty cool trailer. Yeah. I don't know what it's about. Me either. Like, wait a minute. You, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I don't, I mean... All your movies are like big, bombastic, sci-fi, spaceship, invasion, alien type of movies. Mm -hmm. um, how would you describe your films, like from, from the source? That's how I describe your movies, just from seeing the trailers and the posters and stuff. Um, it's, it's space opera. Space opera. Yeah, I, I, I like that because it's, you know, if you wanted to go back to what, what inspires me, it's always Star Wars and Dune. Right, and uh, I, I don't know. I mean, everyone says Dune's a you know it's a bad version of the movie and everything else, but you know, Dune became one of those movies I watched once as a kid and was like, it's okay, and I saw it at the cinema. Then I saw it again, then I saw it again. It just grows on you. Mm -hmm. It's like a race ahead, another David Lynch right. movie. It's just you watch it twenty times and you can't get it out of your head. So Dune became that movie for me, and I just kept watching it and became a little obsessed and if you look at a lot of my art direction it kind of is that David Lynch Dune style of things as yeah everything has ridges on it exactly everything has ridges or like a little bit of rust oh. on like like nothing is like a clean silver no but it's the same used universe stuff that like Star Wars did exactly everything did it but the prequels it feels like yeah yeah and it's, it's I, I know what he was going for with the prequels I understood that because you know a lot of people talk talk crap about the prequels right and I, you know, I kind of understand it, but you know, here's the thing with with um, George Lucas. He, he's if he just repeated Star Wars, you know, did, did the same thing, it'd be like it started, It would get boring. Mm -hmm. You know, if you look at Star Wars and you look at Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, they all have their own feel. They all have their own sort of texture. And he he kind of wanted to to stretch himself as a filmmaker. You know, I think about this all the time. He he's. I, it's all I think about is Star Wars, to be honest right. with you. I'm sorry. But, but, you know, you look at episode one, I can see what he was trying to do. And I, I think um, it looked like a love song to his son. Mm -hmm. You know, he, he didn't really make this movie for the fans. He made it for his son, you know, to, for eight-year-olds. Has he said that or is that something you No, think? that's something I can okay. I feel. Because you look at his right. life and what he was doing and he was, you know, he had an eight. I think, you know, Jet Lucas was, was about eight years old about then at that time mm -hmm. or something. So, you know, it's kind of that, that whole... Um, you could see it, he was in that mode. He was in right. the child mode. And then as it grew up, you know, Attack the Clones was a little bit more... His son was going through puberty. Right. And... Yeah, there's those sexual scenes. Yeah. Like Nellie Portman and, like, the bustier and stuff like that. And they're, yeah, and they're very... Uh, I, I'd say it's almost emotionally immature. Right. You know, in, in, its, in the rom romantic side of, of Attack the Clones is very immature. And, you know, I, I watch it and it's like... I, I understand why people don't like the movie. But... You know, there's this weird charm about it, you know, which which is strange. I mean, it's it's, and then you get to return the Return of the Jedi, and it's like, or uh, what is it? Oh, uh, sorry, Reven attack, Revenge, of, Revenge, of the Sith. Revenge of the Sith. That's it. All yeah. bets are off. Right. And it's you know, it's like now he's getting serious, and you know, it was I, I Revenge of the Sith. I can't stop watching. 
I, I've watched that like I'm gonna say about two hundred times now. What do you like about it? As somebody who only saw like the prequel movies uh, mm. once, yeah, in the theaters. Well, I saw the first one twice because you need the second time to be like, wait, is that really? Yeah, you know what I mean. Uh, so as like somebody who is so excited for the new Star Wars movies, mm. mainly because the prequels were not my cup of tea. Yes. And what you just said, honestly, is the 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 probably the best justification for the prequels that I've ever heard anybody say. Like, literally, what you just said on the show yeah. is the best argument for the prequels and justifying the tone of the prequels and the approach of the prequels as I've ever heard. Hmm. Um, so I just want to say that off the bat. Like, you, I think you got it. Um, what is it about, like, Revenge of the Sith that you love the most? Um, you know, look, I got, you give me goosebumps. And I should, I, but, like, I, I'll, I'll I've got see, goosebumps when I talk about but, it. But, like, I see, like, all I see is, like, the, the, like, the failure to acknowledge, like, the main protagonist, but then you're talking about traditional storytelling, which is something he did with the first tri mm. like trilogy. You don't necessarily, as what you're saying, have to do that again with the second trilogy. Yes. But isn't it all a part of the bigger story? Like, can you have a bigger story where the first act, quote unquote, the first the prequels, is that divergent from the second act, and then we'll see what happens with the third act? Like, I don't know. I mean, yeah. we're all talking here. I look, I I, I agree with you. I, I do, you know, I do see the disjointedness of it, and right. I think it would have been better to have Anakin Skywalker fully grown all the way through, you know. And just have it be Obi-Wan witnessing Anakin the same way that it was Luke witnessing Anakin. Yeah, right. exactly, because it's, it's hard to connect between that, that the boy mm -hmm. and the uh, the teenage, the late teenage adult, right. you know, who was Anakin Skywalker and, and the, the, the round-faced kid. But you love Revenge of the Sith. Yes. Um, I, I look at the moments, and again, there's cringe-worthy moments in Revenge of the Sith, and, and right. you know, the things I go, ooh. But I, I, I play for the moments, you know. Mm -hmm. For me, movie making is about moments. Trailers? No. No, I'm putting words in your mouth. Yeah, that's another story. <laughs> you don't even need to see the movie. <laughs> yes. That's my film. <laughs> Nay. No, no, we'll no, talk about that. But I no, like no. your well, Starship. Well, I like the trailer. Yeah, you haven't seen the I've film. Seen. I haven't seen the film. No, there, there is a story. But, okay. But no, Revenge of the Sith, um, it's, it's, it's operatic right. to me. It's, I, it's, I tell you, when I think about Revenge of the Sith, I think about... Let's just picture it. I think about two scenes. Okay. I think about the scene where the Emperor is, is you know, attacking Mace Windu, you know, with the lightning and stuff. And he goes, no, 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 no. <laughs> then it right. throws him out the window. And that's like the best bit. That's the scene I just, I just it just goosebumps me every time. But it, it took about five listens. Uh, sorry, five, five viewers to yeah. get to that point. And it's like, it's like a drug. You watch that scene and you've just got to watch it because there's so much... It's it's really well directed, mm -hmm. but it's re there's so much in that scene. You know, um, you know the Jedi walk into the into the Emperor's you know room, and he, there's like three other Jedi behind. You know what I mean? And this is a really unique original scene. I haven't seen that in, in any other film the way they did it. And it's like I, I remember watching it the first time. I said, like, "What are they going to do? What's going to happen? You, you can't predict what's going to happen." And the other scene is obviously where where. You know, Anakin Skywalker gets burnt up by the right. lava pit. Look, see, I get goosebumps. Yeah, you look about like a, you have like chicken skin. Yeah, but it, it's it's so horrific. I mean, see, the problem with me, I, I've I've seen a lot of life. You know, I used to be a news cameraman years ago. Really? And Where'd you grow up? Uh, partially in England, partially in Australia. Okay. And so I've seen I've seen life, and I've seen dead bodies, and I've seen people horrifically injured. And when I saw this, you know, with his limbs off and he's burnt to a crisp, but he's still alive. I mean, this is a nightmare. I mean, I, I put myself in Anakin's shoes and think, think wow. Well, he doesn't have shoes at that point. No, they were burnt off. Yeah. Yes, but... 
You put it yourself in his, his yeah. In I, his I, his I slide into his his right. Yes, but he's imagine what he's feeling mm-hmm. at that moment. His his soul is torn out, but also his body is. I mean, he's, he's lost his limbs. His body's burnt to a crisp, and he's still alive. Right. And I mean, this is horrific. And yeah, I know it's a bit cre- it's a bit silly when he becomes the Frankenstein no. thing. No, it's yeah, like, yeah. You know, I get it. I get. I know it's not the best choices, but you know, I've been I, I've made terrible movies in my life you know i like my movies but a right. lot of people don't but i understand you know, when you're so w- wrapped up in that world you you make choices you think of the right choices you don't know how people are going to react it's just how it is and uh you know there, there's there's crappy moments in star wars and and return of the return of the jedi in, in empire nothing really bad in that I, I the, only, the, the only thing i don't like about empire and it's one of the things i don't like the most about the, the holy mm. trilogy is the reference to judeo-christian religion when he goes and i'll see you in hell and i'm like wait what he goes you'll freeze before you get past the first marker yeah and then han solo literally says and i'll see you in hell and i'm like you guys don't have hell you don't have hell heaven or hell i mean i don't know about the corellians maybe they're all like judeo-christians but (laughs) if it's a long time ago in a galaxy far far away that's true. Why would they have a human Earth-based concept? Well, maybe of so, heaven and well, hell. they're not speaking English. That they would have to. They're definitely not. Yeah, they're translated from whatever language they're speaking. And maybe there was a, a mythical dark place called maybe it's hell or, with one L. Exactly. Or, right. Yeah. Or you know, but it's translated. Remember, these are right. translations from the German. Or three Ls. Yeah. Um, but maybe it's just not our hell. But he says it, and it always, even as a kid, it took me out. Do you know how nerd-like this is? Well, that, it's Geekscape. <laughs> I know, I know. But, like, they, I mean, this is where we can do these things. Yes, I know. <laughs> you know, and, like, honestly, like, at conventions, we're always, like, seeing each other, but in, like, in five-minute increments. Mm-hmm. So we, we never get a chance to have these conversations, no. but this is absolutely the, what this show is for. Yeah. Um, let's talk about your movies, because you make these movies, and I don't see how you pull off these special effects, and, like, we were just in your office looking at your... Uh, you know, 3D modeling of some of the spaceships and stuff, and you saw the the starship from Starship Rising, and and, and I'm like sitting there going, how do you pull this off? Because like I, I kind of know the budget amount you work within, mm. and it's aggressive. Yeah. Oh, like it's... you make these movies, and what I like about them is it's not like stuff like Asylum. No. Like you, it, it's. Though we do cross swords a bit. I, yeah, but but I was in a meeting last week, and we were talking about Geekscape, and we were talking about like nerd content. And the stuff that doesn't work is about us. The mm-hmm. stuff that does work is of us. Does it make sense? And like, I had to yes. think about it a bit. And it was like FUBU. You know FUBU, the t-shirt brand? Yes. From us, by us? Yeah. Or for us, by us? That's so profound. I, I thought it was profound when I heard it said to me. It was yeah. like, you know what? It, somebody's literally said, you know what, what we like about Geekscape? And it was somebody we were looking to partner with. And they're like, do you know what we like about Geekscape? It's uh, from us, not about us. And I was like, what? And they were like, that's why Joss Whedon's Avengers works. Because even though it has like story flaws, you can tell he's a geek. And you can tell it's a love letter. That's why Guillermo del Toro works and Zack Snyder doesn't work. And I, I think Zack Snyder actually I like yeah. some I, of this stuff. I, um, but, uh, but I thought about it. Yeah. And I was in the car and I was like, yeah, yeah. It's from the soul. It comes it's from, from the heart. soul. And so, so, so when we're talking about the crossing swords with something like Asylum, that always feels like it's for us. Mm. The the are about us the stuff that that you make seems like it's literally from somebody who literally just said all that stuff about star wars yeah and that shows in the movies sometimes well let me well, th- this is a journey let, let there's me. always constraints to filmmaking right oh there's let always me, production but whatever let me give you the journey right and, give I, me the journey. and i'll tell you the mistakes yeah I, I like to talk about my mistakes because right. i've made a few and i learn from every mistake or i think i do and that that's the secret i think it's 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 the mistakes we make 
that, that's what teaches us. Uh, my first film, Demons in My Head, I did, it's the world's first digital film. Right. In 19, I think it was, I, I don't know if that's true. I'm pretty sure it's true. I know it's definitely the world's first digital science fiction full-length feature film. This is for sure. In what 90, year was that? 97. But how did you make that? Okay, well, um, I, was, I, I ran a production house. Your long hair is brushing the mic. I'm you, sorry. Your long white snake like hair. A, yeah, I look like David Coverdale from White Snake. <laughs> Dude, it, it's it's surprising how much I look like him. Sometimes. Well, you can't live in Van Nuys because like all those dudes live up here, and you're gonna get confused for them. He lives up the road. I, I had I had lunch with his band. Sorry, uh, was it lunch or no dinner? I was at Fireflies, and three members of his band were of there, White Snake. Of White Snake, because I know you know right. I work with all these heavy metal bands, and we had we're having dinner, and we're chatting, and one of the guys said, "Look, we just got to tell you, you're exactly like our boss." You have the same mannerisms as David Coverdale. You look like a younger version of him. It's creepy, they said. You are exactly the same. And it's like, I've never met the guy. And then Tony Catan came in. Oh, I wish. <laughs> you go out of the parking lot, she's crawling on your car. <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah. Um, so, so 1997. Okay. What do you use in 1997? Okay. Well, I mean, I got to tell you, like the, the, the Wing Commander games that Chris Roberts was making mm -hmm. with like Mark Hamill and all that, like Wing Commander 3 and 4 yes. with the CD-ROM games, yes. those were fully computerized. And I looked at them as films. Yeah. You know, three and four had like Malcolm McDowell in them. I, and so that. I, I loved those games. Yeah. Well, that was a production value then. And, and right. Well, okay. Back then, okay, we had, I had a digital beta cam camera, mm -hmm. 16 by 9. And it's the first digital camera that was widescreen and everything else. So that means you're starting digital. So we shot on digital beta cam, and then we we had a brand new editing system called the Stratosphere, which later became got bought and bought and bought and became Final Cut Pro. Okay. So we had a thing called the Stratosphere. We edited on this 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 nonlinear system in digital, and as all I did all the effects in digital as well in this thing. But are you shooting against green screen at this point? No, no, no. Shooting live location. Okay. Green screen wasn't that good. It's it, it's been a green screen. I hate, but it's it's been a journey for, for for that. You probably needed a major budget like they had with the Wing Commander games to do green screen, yeah. blue screen. Even that, it didn't look good. You stand no, definition. it looked like it looks yeah. like crap. You know, <laughs> I loved it because I was like, oh, it's Mark Hamill in a space game. I know, I know. I loved those games. Well, you see, as I said, you know, so we, right. we we did this thing. It was it was kind of. It's kind of a bunch of people talking in a room, but I couldn't be happy with that. So I put demons in there, and I, I you know, first for movie, and I, I kind of undersold myself. I did all these short movies and all these TV shows and explosions and stuff, and then I came to do my own movie, and I was like, well, let's just stick it in a room. That's what you're supposed to do. And I mean, I had spaceships in it and special effects and everything else, and I got it finished in digital, and then we output it directly to 35 millimeter film. So it was, you know, it was, the workflow was digital all the way, output to film, and it played in the cinema. Uh, mm -hmm. It got released on VHS and, and, and DVD followed after that and got released worldwide. We, we hit number seven on Blockbuster Top 10 in the UK and stuff. Mm -hmm. Never got paid for the movie, of course. Right. Screwed pretty badly. But, you know, you get the movie out and that's kind of how it went. And then it was like, okay, I you know, invested like 25 grand in the film. And um, I didn't get anywhere. You know, my, my movie was sold worldwide but I never got a cent. So then I had about two and a half grand left in the bank, literally. And I went and made the second movie, which was To Become One. And You made it with the two and a half grand. Yeah. And that, that was a blessing because when you have no money, you say to people, we, we have no money. Right. And they don't expect money. Yeah they, either want, yeah, they either want to play or they don't. And they all wanted to play because I had a successful movie. Right. And that was a, the, the, the blessing. So I made that movie and it got released and we, we made profit instantly. 
Of um, course, he, he had nowhere to go but up. Yeah, we did, and we actually right. made a profit. And then it was about to be released worldwide. We had seven pages in Fangoria magazine. They did a massive article on the movie because it's a horror film. Right. And this is on when when I think you know, Blair Witch Project came out, and they cost thirty five thousand dollars for their movie and they all look how wonderful it is we made a movie for 35 grand I made this for two and a half grand which was the exact number 2154 and if you watch Bowfinger do you remember Bowfinger okay remember he said oh every movie costs $2,154 well it's exactly what my movie movie costs that was this weird coincidence you know I was like watching Bowfinger I was like what the fuck you know this is can I swear on this yeah of course oh thank you it's the internet excellent Um, Uh, Neil's nude right now by the way yes this very white looking person I didn't <laughs> locked in doors but it was it was it, it, you know I got the movie out and we got so much press and then the company that was going to release it they went broke right so that was like that was a heartbreaking thing but yeah. around this time this is the George Lucas connection I think in 1999 George Lucas just finished episode one he came to Australia and he was scouting around looking you know to shoot episode two in Sydney so I went to the Screen Producers Association meeting and he and Rick McCallum were there and they they you know, I, I was running around set telling everybody I, I did a digital film. Right. As a, and everyone was look, giving me like dirty looks and, and, you know, they thought I was a complete douchebag. And I, I mean, they were rude to me, these people. This is in Australia. Well, you know. was it because they were invested in the format that existed? Yeah. yeah. And, you know, why would you do this? You're an idiot. Talk yeah. to us when you do a real movie. But meanwhile, I'd sold more territories than these people. Right. You know, they'd done one movie and maybe sold one territory, Australia, where they yeah. made the, you know. I never sold Australia. I sold internationally. And so I was in this weird sort of realm. And then, um, so, you know, the movie came out, nobody cared. And then next minute, George Lucas gets up on the podium, and I wish I had a copy of this, but he actually said, I mean, you know, there's pictures and stuff, but he said um, he was talking about the future of filmmaking being digital. And everyone, everyone went silent. Right. And then he said, um, you know, people like Neil Johnson. And what? mentioned me in front of all these people. How did he hear about you? Well... I don't know. I don't know how he originally heard. I was because George press. Lucas knows everything. Yeah, exactly. I was in the press. Right. Well, I, no, actually, I think he heard about me from Rick McCallum because my producer at the time, uh, Jane Rowland, she was running around flirting with him, I guess, or chatting with him. But the selling point of the film was digital. Yes. In the future. In and, this, yeah. And they spoke. And they spoke. And so I, later on, I got to sit down and chat with them, and they asked me all the questions. You got to chat with George Lucas and, and Rick McCallum. Well, George, right. I spoke to for about five minutes. Sure. Rick McCallum, I spoke for about three hours. Wow. In about three different time periods, and he's a chain smoker. Oh okay. Um, but you know, we we chatted and chatted and spoke about the digital process of how I try to make the film look like thirty-five mil, and had all these tricks. You know, back then it was kind of new territory, so they were fascinated with it. And then I gave him a copy of the movie. Now, I know he watched it, and this is a weird thing. Because that's episode two. Well, I'm messing with you. I'm no. Messing, I'm kind no, of messing with you. you but th- this is the thing. What I'm, was your movie about? Well. Show me, show me some I got, I, This is a show and tell. I apologize right. for a podcast. No, that's right. Um, we can put some of these photos in yes. the... Uh, okay. Okay, so let me see this. Yeah, I, he, Neil, Neil makes a book uh, to, to kind of promote himself and promote like all of his films. So he actually prints out a lot of the stills and things from his books uh, from his movies puts them in a book and he uses those as sales now look at that spaceship does that not look like the spaceship from Star Wars Episode 2 again I only watched it once well that does Um, trust me which right but that that, that could also look like a little E-wing or a B-wing I know it's a big giant space cruise that's not the only thing you know I thought that was kind of cool you know oh my Uh spaceship looked like theirs I was first but the reality was um, now and I, I have to put this online one day Right. What actually happened was um, there's a cut scene from Star Wars Episode Two where Padme's parent, Padme's talking with her mum in the kitchen doing the, the washing up by the kitchen window, and they're having this conversation. 
and my opening scene for my film was that exact scene. Mm -hmm. Now, when I say the exact scene, I'm talking about six lines of dialogue are identical. Word for word. Word for word. And I was watching this cut scene in episode two, episode two. I was like, you know, after they put out the DVD, I was like, oh my God. And it's like, it's so bizarre watching this. And it's, you know, maybe, maybe there's a word change here or there, but it's pretty much the exact same conversation, same setting, same vibe, same everything. And I was like, did George Lucas rip me off? And I mean, you know, it's, I'm not trying right. to say anything i'm not going to sue him ever because you know why, why would you but i was so amused by the fact that somehow i'd affected him either consciously or subconsciously you know well, to, line for line is not exactly subconscious well you got to see that you got to see them side by side and right. uh, yeah i mean okay I'm, i mean that's I'm, conscious. I'm not saying line for line right. but i'm saying it's so close it's right. ridiculous and I know, it's he, I know he saw right. the film i don't know if you watch the whole movie but it was in the beginning of the movie so then i'm watching that and, and I, I mentioned this to um one of the guys later who worked on Star Wars Episode One and Two, um, the guy who designed Darth Maul. Um, right. Oh yeah, yeah. I met um, him at Comic Con through yeah, yeah through Space Command, mm -hmm. and he actually said, "Yeah, look, George will do that." He said that that's very possible. This really did happen because I said to him, "Is this really could this have happened?" He said, "Yeah, George does it all the time. He he borrows, he steals, he takes ideas from everywhere. It's very very likely he he did rip you off. Right. You know, but but that's how how he is." And he said, "But he's." You know, he just said, this is, this is how, this is very, he's heard that story before, similar stories. So I, I, um, I, I found that a great compliment, you know, and it was like the coolest, weirdest thing um, about that. So it was, it just taught me that I was on the right path. So then I ran off and did uh, my third movie, Battle Space, which we shot in Arizona. I mean, that's a story in itself, and I don't want to go into it today. Mm -hmm. We shot in Arizona in the desert, and I, mean, I, I nearly lost my pants on that. And I mean, we shot it. Because it's hot as hell. Dude, no, I, I, I got, we had these investors who were like uh -huh. putting in like $800,000 and then they dropped the ball when we were there ready to shoot. They were supposed to pay the, the you know, deposit. They didn't pay the money. And um, so we're kind of stuck in the desert. And everybody's sitting there ready to Yeah, and then cameras. everyone left and I was left with a couple of actors and myself. And so we, made, we rewrote the film and we shot the film. But of course, it was in the middle of summertime. So it was 125 degrees. Right. And it was, I, had a, I had a DVC Pro HD camera then. So that's HD when it became we went from Construct Three to like or Continuum to like Battle Space. Yeah, I changed. Well, we changed right. the name. There's a reason why we changed the name. If you want the truth, do you want to know why it's called Battle Space? I'm guessing it's a legal thing. No. Oh no. No, no. Um, let's see what came out. It was um, uh, marketing. It was Battlestar Galactica, which just came out, was the hot thing. Right. And so it was called Construct Three. Then Continuum. Oh, you changed it to Battle Space. Battle Space. Let me so. see the logo. Let me see if the logo looks the same. Yes. We just um, through the book. Yeah, well, the logo actually looks more like Battleship. Yeah, I know, but this is before like, Battleship. I know, but that logo looks like Battleship. It does, doesn't Straight it? up Battleship. Yeah, that's, that's kind of cool. I didn't even notice that. But, you know, uh, it, it, was, it was a me movie. And, and yeah, it's, right. it's not a great film, but it's kind of, there's something nice about it, you know? And that's what you do when, when, when the chips are down. So then it's like, I was, uh, but the thing is, then I sold the movie. I had a great sales agent. And it actually made a profit on that film. Would you say that this stuff is like straight to video? How would you yes, describe this stuff? it's straight to DVD. Straight to DVD. Yeah. And, now, and then soon it'll be straight to VOD. Well, it is. Don't it, you think? It already yeah. is. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's kind of the, the path now for a release. It's video on demand first, then iTunes, and then you know, Blu-ray and everything else. Did somebody put out a book, The Films of Neil Johnson. Yes. Like, who is that? Is he a wacko? Yes. The person who put out the book's a wacko, right? Completely. Because, like... I, I, no, who I would, would buy consider this book? well. I consider like what we do is fairly niche, right? And yes. like you, I think you consider what you do is fairly niche. And then all of a sudden, there's some dude who puts out a book 
about niche filmmaking. But then on the reverse, is the internet not the perfect place to put something like that out? Because I feel like niche stuff is being celebrated because as the Avengers go mainstream and as mm. things go mainstream, comic books and other things that we held dear and, and were niche back then are now going mainstream. People are looking for the niche to call their own, and they're looking for the things to hold dear. Yes. And so I actually think that it's an advantage to people who are quote unquote niche because they find the mo- more like fervorous followers who who are, are louder. Yes. You know, and they will do things like put out the book uh, called the films of Neil Johnson and tell people about it. Yeah. Mavens, I guess, is the word for them. You know. Yeah. The I guess who spread the word. Well, yeah. No, I think that's nice. Um, what I think it is, look, I, I pick up a few fans along the way. People watch the movie. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, here's we got to have like a gauntlet. Well, where we watch like a few of these in a row. There was four people in this world who watched my first movie and second movie, mm-hmm. and formed their own little club, religious club. How and many people were there? Four. Um, and there's a documentary on that too, by the way. There were four people who got together and just made like a Neil Johnson movie club. Yeah. Well, a religious group, I believe. Religious. Yes, the Order of the Nephilim. You're gonna get fucking Dude. like you're gonna get killed. You There's know that, a half right? an hour documentary on this. It was put on television in Australia. So these people that worship you, can we say that they don't worship me anymore? Okay, so these people who are your fans, <laughs> yes. um, I, I think they. That's they, scary, right? Like, a, like those people want to remove your skin and like where are you? One right? of them was a stripper. That's what I'm saying. Dude, and like, she, they were trying to get demon possessed by these things. Okay, so the fact that they can't get laid is not an argument because she obviously could. Oh, that kind of stripper. Okay, got it. Yeah, um, yeah all right. So, um, that doesn't scare you? Yes. The intensity of it? Sometimes. You know, okay, what scares me is when people start drawing images of me. And there was one girl, and she's wonderful, in Russia, who started drawing like about 20 or 30 images of, of me. Um, this and it's not just the guy from White Snake? No, I, it could be. I don't know if I have a copy of that. I mean, it's not in there. But, okay. but I mean, I have a whole bunch of works of art of me and interpretive art, you know, too. It's kind of strange. I, I, I mean, I'm nothing special. But you see, people just get hooked into certain things and they want to talk about the Nephilim or this or that. And you don't think they're clowning you? A pro- they could be. Well, I mean, do, do you think people like your movies because they're, like, as you said, you say some of these movies are bad? Well, some people. My, I, go my, I love my films, but the reviews... If you, right. the reviews indicate they're bad films, but they're not really, in my opinion. Do you I, think people are clowning? Or oh, yeah, do you think I know these religious people. They were definitely clowning me right. for, for the publicity. Oh. But you've got to remember, you know, in Australia... Fuck a stri- the Nephilim, or oh, whatever funny. it's called. Nephilim. The whatever. Nephilim. Nephilim. Anyway, they were in Australia, you know, and that, that's, a, that's a smaller area. Right. And so anyone who's continent. got... It's a very dangerous place to yeah. live. Yeah, I hope that poisons claim them. That's what they get for clowning. No, they, they still buy copies of my films. Okay, keep I, them alive. Funny. Keep when, them alive. Whenever they do orders, you know. I, yeah, keep them alive. It. Yeah, but it, it's I, I I know they were clowning, but it was it was very amusing at the time, and mm-hmm. it was funny, and it was strange, and it was just weird. But it's because you know when you when you're a big noise in a small room, you know people t- pay, pay attention. Right. And that's just that's all it is. I'm I'm not famous. I'm not special. I'm, I'm trying. All I'm doing is trying to make really good movies, and I. I I care about my art, and I, I do this day and night. It's all I think about and all I care about. So I'm, I'm really obsessed, you know. But Neil, wouldn't your budgets, if you, if you know, if you have a, a budget and the budget is already small by Hollywood standards, right? It's probably. I mean, our, our budgets are probably like minuscule by Hollywood. Mm. Why do sci-fi? Why do something that is so, like, special effects and budget intensive? Why not go back to what you did early and have people talking people talking is cheap action is expensive special effects action is super expensive and i'm talking about time and effort and stuff like that um 
why not make a different kind of movie? Why sci-fi, especially at this level? Hmm. Um, because it's all I dream about. It's all, it's I, all you dream about. It's all so I this think is like, about. This is like exorcism for you. This is like demon exorcism for you. Like Otherwise, these voices in their head are just going to stay yeah, there. Does that well. make sense? Yeah. It's, 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 it's kind of like that. See, you go back to my childhood, and I've spoken about this many times in public, but my earliest memory was watching Neil Armstrong walk in the moon in 1969, July 21st. And right. I was a year and, tw and 360 days old. That was just on Mad Men. Was it? Yeah, the Mad Men episode that just happened. Oh, I gotta watch like, that. Had a bit of that. Like, I, I need to watch. I love it was a major part of that last episode. Was oh, I gotta see that. Neil Armstrong walking on the moon, right? Yeah. Well, it was my earliest memory. We see, here's what happened. We we're, were in England. My dad took me outside and said, look, see the moon up there? The that fucking Americans got to no, it first. Yeah, is that, that what he said? No, no. He said the guy on the moon is on TV. The guy on TV is on the moon. And I said, how can, how can he be on TV and on the moon at the same time? This is not possible. Because he's American. That's why. Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah, so that's, you know. But I was so confused by this. <laughs> right. And yeah, then I found out he was American. And so that's why I had to come here. <laughs> you flew there like yeah, Superman. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, but, but I mean, as a kid, how old were you? Do you think? When that, I was two when that happened. You were two. It's 1969. Mm -hmm. You're two. And you're right. I mean, that would have warped your head. Was like thinking that the moon, which you see every day, well, at least for two years, um, and you have a concept of being the furthest thing away that you can possibly yes. see because you can't look in the sun. They tell you not to. Um, and there's a human being on there. Yes. And somehow he got there. And, and, and like, he was on TV at the same time. He was on TV. This is incredible. You were living in a sci-fi. Yeah. I, I was screwed then at this point. And then seven, I was, I think, age of seven, I think it was. And I, my parents dropped me off to the movie theater for the first time ever. Right. And that was Star Wars. And I was like, I was gone. Right. It's like somebody has gone inside my head and pulled out something that, that is so amazing. What about like Planet of the Apes? Oh, my God. I was, so, I was a freak for Planet of the Apes. I used to be an expert on Beneath the Planet of the Apes. Right. I used to, uh, and that's the second one. Yeah. I love that film, and I can tell you so much about that movie. You know, if you ever want to do an episode, because I figure, like, an, until Star Wars came out, Planet of the Apes is all we had. Yeah, and uh, well, I, I was forever, I was collecting all the comics, right? And you know, I, I kind of in Australia, you didn't have access to Planet, Planet of the Apes like you do in the U.S. So you have to wait. You know, and one day they put it, one of the movies on TV. I was like, my God, this is incredible. Right. I was so hooked. Again, you know, but the best bits I liked was the spaceship and the nice white spaceships. And mm -hmm. the, the astronauts were so cool because they had white outfits and, you know, that, that whole thing. And, I, you know, again, I was just obsessed with it, you know, until then I saw Star Wars and it just pushed me over the edge. Yeah, it trumped it. We're dealing with a drug addiction here, you know, a mental right. drug addiction. But what about televised Star Trek? Did that ever, like, well, get, again, get, another, another early memory. Right. The first thing I ever saw on, on, on television in color was, was Star Trek. Uh-huh. And my, my grandfather bought a color TV. And what about Red Dwarf or Doctor Who? Oh, that came later. Well, no, Doctor yeah. Who's another one. But no, I saw Star Trek in color in 1970. First broadcast. Wow. And it's all those colors, those buttons. Right. You know why they made all the buttons so colorful? It was because it was color TVs that just came out. And they wanted people to see color. Right. And, uh, it was, and the red shirts were so impressive. Well, the the visual was yeah. impressive, and then they die. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the the but characters that's why weren't impressive at all, right? No, but you know, it was, it but, was but you know what? That is a good way to keep cycling red shirts onto the screen. Yeah. Well, it was all about the red shirts, you see. Right. And they, I remember that was so vibrant, seeing the red shirt. Then I saw Doctor Who, and it terrified me, because when I saw that, that, that opening funnel with you know, the John Pertwee episode, and mm -hmm. it was a Silurian episode, I remember this, when they were underground chasing these underground dinosaur-human creature hybrid things. And it scared the crap out of me. And I was hiding behind the couch, literally peering up and watching that, you know, that, that big opening of Doctor Who. And, and you know, I'm, I'm screwed at this point. You know, Star Trek, Doctor Who's, Star Wars. Lost it, in Space? Oh, yeah. And then again in Australia. Land of the Lost? Land of the Lost, of course. Everything. Lost in Space. I mean, in Starship, 
there's a I rip off a little 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 homage to to Lost in Space. You know, there's a, one of the characters gets in the the, the you know he, he has a secret code and it's Aeolus fourteen number, which is from the original Lost in Space pilot. Okay, it's a very very vague reference, and one person has already seen this and got it because they're into Lost in Space. But you know, that's I'm, intense. Yeah, but I'm always they're putting those. Start another religion. I know. <laughs> I'm always putting these things in there because it's it's out of love, you know, and people right. will recognize that and say, okay, this guy gets it, you know, and it's just, you know, I have to throw these things in there. I can't help myself. Though the problem is, um, you know, I've I've kind of done a little written, you know, I've paid homage, as they say, I hate that term, but you know, I've done, I've done those sort of little love letters. And, I call them love letters. Yeah, I've thrown love letters out, but now right. I've, I've exhausted that to the point where I just want to be so original and so on my own page that I don't want to copy anybody when you know? did you get that feeling um, was it with this star- one starship rising no, no, it was that, before that let me try to think when i really kicked into that i mean it's the notion has been there many times but i keep falling back um why have that notion why not just keep doing things referentially like some filmmakers do you know what i mean it's about art you know and this is the thing when i look at a movie like um star wars or dune right they didn't have a reference point you don't think so? You don't think Star Wars was a bit no, of a 2001 did. reference point? Yeah, you're right. I mean, you don't think that Dune had a bit of a a reference point? Well, they did, but they were so... They didn't... I think that it's 80% original, yeah. and then 20% is like the basis well, for letting true. the audience connect with the material. Yeah, I guess that's true. Does that make sense? Because if you're yeah. 100%, then but, I think you're making experimental movies. Well, I, Something has to be derivative, yeah, but or see, the audience doesn't have a connection. Well, see, when I was a kid, I never saw 2001. So right. for me, Star Wars was the fresh movie. Got it. I was like, where did this come from? And, you know, we're in an isolated country where you don't see much stuff or media. Yes, I'd seen Lost in Space, mm-hmm. but that was about it. Of course, Flash Gordon. Like, you look at Star Wars, you yeah. have to know Flash. I mean, but, but I never saw it. Right. But, you know? but I'm just going back to saying that yeah. Star Wars was, was derivative, and that was the, the, the thing about it. It celebrated all that stuff. Exactly. It celebrated all those serials. Yeah. And I, I, well, this is what I'm fighting with creatively right. myself. You know, I get the idea of being inspired by something, but the notion of finding something within yourself that's so original and unique and you've never heard that voice before that's that's the, the challenge you can't help but be influenced by every movie that you've ever right. seen because it gets stuck in your head I, I was listening to Ridley Scott talking about this he was saying why hasn't he done science fiction you know at all since Alien and Blade Runner he said because there's nothing original right he says we're all ripping each other off and it's so true but he said he tried to find an original unique voice in Prometheus and but you know, don't get me started on Prometheus. Right. I love. I, I'm one of the people that actually likes the film. Well, I liked the movie too. I loved it. I mean, I I I, I, I know all the faults about of it. Course. Like the guy who makes maps is the one who gets lost. The yeah, guy no, who's no. the biologist is the one that treats the cobra like a freaking dog. Like it doesn't yeah. make any sense. But that but, being said, you get you gave it a chance. Exactly. You know, I mean, the X Men movie. We just talked about how much we love the X Men movie. The whole plot is about stopping a bullet. The entire plot is to send a Wolverine back to stop a bullet. They get a character named Quicksilver. Halfway through the movie, there's a miraculous scene where he runs around a room and stops nine bullets in less than a second. And they kick him off the damn team. What? It didn't make any sense. I haven't seen the movie. Well, they send Wolverine back to stop somebody yeah, yeah. from being assassinated. Who was being assassinated? Uh, you know, not Trask. Jeff. Trask, oh, okay. the, the dude who creates the Sentinels. Oh, okay. Not, not yeah. JFK or anything. No, like no, no, that. no, no. Not that Star Trek. Episode. No, they, they they do work in the JFK assassination, Magneto, and all that stuff. But oh. I, I recommend X Men. But if you look at the plot, yeah, it makes no sense that yeah. the entire movie is based on stopping a bullet, and there's one scene that showcases a character's ability to stop bullets like no other. Huh. 
and, and then, then they, they get, get rid of it. They just get rid of it. It's them. like the most perfect, perfect, you know, Swiss Army knife you'll ever have. I mean, I'm, I'm in the process of writing a, a feature film now, and it, ha- and it and there's a little bit of logic, and I'm re- I'm writing on the, on the second or third draft, and, and and I keep thinking to myself as I think about this stuff because comedy, I think, comes easy to me, but uh, but I've been thinking about like action movies, science fiction movies, and like horror movies. Where the character plays stupid for convenience of plot, because mm-hmm. like if the person doesn't make stupid decisions, then the the alien doesn't exist, or the plot doesn't happen, or the disaster doesn't occur. And there are so many movies where the protagonist does things that are stupid mm-hmm. that you end up actually not liking them. And I thought like a little rule in my head. I said, okay, here's the rule: if your protagonist acts stupid for the convenience of the plot, then like lost. Yes. Like in Lost, when they wouldn't talk to each other and share things like, oh, I don't know, there's a monster out there. Yes. Um, you, you're, not, you're no longer writing an action movie, a horror, or a sci-fi, you're writing a comedy. Yes. Because in a comedy, somebody can be stupid for the convenience of the plot because, you know, it's stuff like that That's exists. It. Yeah. But in a horror movie, an action movie, or a sci-fi, all you're doing is undermining the severity of the, of the, of the, of the situation and the stakes. Yeah. You know? Because people are... Well, here's you the don't want to root for an idiot. Yes. <laughs> you want to root for a hero... And the stakes are that much greater than them. Yeah, but you want to respect your hero. Not you have to respect stupid. them. Oh yeah. my God! Like you see some of these movies, and they're just making stupid choices, and you're like, okay, well, I guess I can watch a comedy. Yes. That sold itself as something as a other. Film. Right. I've, I've had that problem. See, like, I can, I think I can tell you what happens there. You you write a certain film, and then you think, okay, I need to have, you know, you need to fix something in the plot. There's nothing engaging here. You need some twist or mm-hmm. turn, and so you think, well, what if you do this? What if you do that? And you'll end up imposing something on the, on the character that maybe he shouldn't have done, but you've got to move the plot forward. It's tough because all the threads are connected to each other. Yeah. So like you try and yeah. fix one thread and something else gets undone. And that's the problem. Right. And you are dealing with such a complex thing. And when I'm doing science fiction, you know, there's a lot of st- story in my stuff. And it's so complicated. The one thing I'll say about my films, if you watch them the first time, it's like, oh, yeah. You watch it the second time, the third time, the fourth time, then it starts to make more sense. And that's what people said to me. It's like, when I see that your movie's after five times... I see a new layer, and mm-hmm. it's because of all, all those threads. But yes, you can sabotage yourself because you want to put that sort of complexity in it, and you know you've got to have something happen here to keep the, the audience engaged. So that's why you might do that. I mean, I, I did that on Humanity's End, which is my sixth film. It was written more like something like Red Dwarf mm-hmm. crossed with Star Wars. It's meant to be that type of thing. Red Dwarf, if you haven't seen it, is a British um, comedy sci-fi, one of the greatest shows I've ever seen. <laughs> right. But, you know, that's... That's, you know, I, I was kind of going a little bit in that direction. And then my sales agent saw it and said, look, the problem with comedy, it doesn't translate internationally. Right. It does not. And Red Dwarf translates to German okay, um, doesn't translate to Italian. You know, it mm-hmm. does not translate to Russian, does not translate to Spanish very well. It's the, the style of comedy. You know, like Germans have a certain sense, sense of humor, if you've ever been to Germany. Their humor is very, ah, ha, ha, that's funny, you know, it's very no, simple No, I mean, humor. you get it when you look at, yeah. like, like, I was looking at the blended posters, the Adam Sandler movie that mm-hmm. came out. Yeah. And they literally look like posters selling a Hispanic film. Yes. Like, they don't look it's Americanized true. at all. They no. look like something I would have seen in Guadalajara as a yeah. kid trying to sell a local Mexican film. Yeah, and that's probably you know, like, that audience. Ay, que chistoso, Adam Sandler está en un, you know, he's, he's riding crazy. around on an ostrich. It's like, oh, que chistoso. I'm like, it's so physical and yeah. loud. That I think, yeah, I, th- I think that's the only way to sell a comedy is to be like, oh, there's a chicken coming out of his ass. Well, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and it doesn't work. Well, they do- see, you've got to remember international sales. And I get it. See, like Mr. Bean. 
Right. That works internationally because he's crazy and he doesn't have to speak much. You know what I mean? Right. And it's there's it, a different pace and a different tone and setup and payoff when you have different cultural conventions. Yeah, and, that, and that's the problem. You want to sell to Spain, you've got to do a certain type of comedy. You want right. to sell to Germany, you've got to do a very rigid type of comedy. Right. And you know, and, that, and that's the problem I hit with Humanity's End. It was a lot of subtle humor. Now it's funny because the most the best responses from Humanity's End came from the UK and from Canada, which is bizarre because I think they get my humor. Mm -hmm. And people in the, in the US were maybe, uh, and I cut a lot of the humor out of it, by the way, too. Let's put it back in. I, I, I want to. Try it out. I want to. I mean, you kind of do, because... I, I kind of, I do the George Lucas thing. I, I'm not happy with the movie. I right. go and fix it later. Judd Apatow tests his movies like 20 times. I don't blame him. Like, I, he tests his comedies 20 times, and sometimes the test, the only thing he'll change are just different takes of a joke. Yeah. Or, or like a different response. Like, he will tweak and tweak and tweak and tweak a film. Yeah. And he just barely changes much more than takes, or, uh, or or he'll include a joke or remove a joke, you know, yeah. and just test it. But, I mean, something that crucial when you're thinking about the uh, just having a like the end result of uh, so many jokes. By the end of the movie, it either exhausts you or it satisfies you. Yes, you know what I mean. And, and it's I, all about energy and pacing. And you got you know, I actually plot my movies on a graph. Okay. And you look at your highs and lows. So so. You've got to have a character high moment, usually in a point where there's an action low moment, you know, mm -hmm. so that you have time to, you, you kind of want to pull people's emotions left, right, and center. So I actually, the way I write a film is What's I... What's the sequence approach? Yeah. Well, I, I, I it's, it's all, all structure. Right. Everything's structure for me. And I learned that on my second film because I, I put a little twist in the story where this character you thought was one person was another person. Three quarters of the way through the movie, I remember watching it in the, in the theater, and I had this character moment, this great character turn, and it was about you know 75 minutes into the movie, and I could feel the energy in the in, in the cinema suddenly rising. Everybody, when that moment happened, everyone shifted and they got excited again because I think they were all falling asleep. Mm -hmm. And I think you need to have some structure in there to keep or nudity. Going. I've had that too. You put nudity in some of your films? Yeah. I think we just sold a couple of DVDs. Well, I can tell you which ones they are. First two films. Uh, no, 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 make them look, uh, yeah, or make yeah. them by the box set. Well, the ones to buy, you know. Um, yeah, I, I know. Well, I tell you, do you know why I put titties in my second? Okay, well, <laughs> I got I to gotta tell you what I did. <laughs> I like how you're... Dude, the, you wanna, there's a picture in my book if you want to see them. Wait, what? Yeah, um, Covered in mm. Blood. I, I oh, got, never mind. I, okay. You sick um, I know. It's no fun when you're doing audio. Um, but, you know, I, I took my first two movies and I got screwed on them right. internationally by all the distributors. So I took them back. And I recut the films and shot extra scenes. Uh -huh. And I remember being in a meeting with a distributor for horror films. And they said, look, all we do, and they, they're honest with me. They said, we only watch the first 10 minutes of a, um, of a film. Right. If we don't see tits and blood in the first 10 minutes, we don't buy it. And I thought, hmm, hmm. So I thought to myself, if I'm going to add some scenes to, to become one, and then I'm going to rename it, and I've renamed it Bipolar Armageddon, I better put tits and blood in there. I mean, film number two, uh, sorry, film number one already had titties and blood. So I was okay with that. But I thought I better put tits in there. So I got my girlfriend at the time, I was living in New York, and we did a, a, a death shower scene with lots of blood and, you know, body pieces cut off and stuff. And I had tits and blood in the first 10 minutes. Honey, do you mind doing this scene with me? It was like that. She loved it. Because you always date all these actresses. Yeah. It, dude, I, 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 I realized I had a fetish for girls covered in blood and naked. And Wait, I, what? Dude, it was like the, it was like this moment. It's like, my God. How old are you? Nine? No, no, 10? no, no, no. I would have been 11. about thirty-five. 
At 35? I started late. I didn't know I had this fetish. And it was like... What year what? did you lose your virginity? What age? 21. Oh, that is late. Yeah, I know. And okay. I, I, then I did it two, two well, more times. Well, sorry to all the 22-year-olds who are listening to this. Yeah. And it's not a pressure. It's not a social thing. I don't want to give you guys a complex. You, mm. Run your own race. Yeah. Go at your own pace. Well, but 21, traditionally, then, if, then you I know... I got married at 25. I had sex three or four times, then I got married. Right. Then I had to figure out what to do with it. You mm -hmm. know, and then I got divorced, and then it changed. My life changed. Right. I grew my hair, looked like a rock star, had to, had to attract women. But at 35, yeah. you don't still have this thing, do you? It's there, yeah. Girls covered in blood. Oh, my God. Dude. That's not alarming to you? Some of the alarms don't go off in your head and you go, oh, maybe I should try and you'd, oh, I'll be yourself. No, I don't know. It's, it's, not, it's just the blood thing over the boobs. Yeah, that's all okay. it is. I just, it's just so cool. And it was so interesting. I was like, I was, I was, it was artistically, you know, it's a color red on boobies. I, I don't know. I don't know what it is. It's right. just one of those things. Now you've embarrassed me, you see. I've no, given away my no, secret. Whatever. But, it, you know, it was one of those moments and I put it in a movie. And it's just how it, you know, it's how my brain works. And I just get weird inspirations. There's another scene in this film. I don't. This is, gets really disgusting. Go for it. Okay. Um, well, I, well, what movie are we talking about? Still? Bipolar Ram. Bipolar Ram. You know, I shot some extra scenes right. to remake the movie so I could re-release it and sell it. Yeah. And um, you know, Bipolar Ramageddon and Nephilim. I kind of did them at the same time to you know, but I have a real problem with child molesters. And yeah. You, well, you should. Well, I have a big problem with them. I don't like them, obviously. Well, you shouldn't. Exactly. Well, here's what I did. Um, I, you know, I've, you know, I like children. I have a daughter, so I have the feeling of, you know, the predators are out there, and I'm always thinking. I was living in Auburn, New York, upstate New York. Okay. And we had this little application thing on How the computer. How the hell did you get there? I was working for Manowar, heavy metal band. I love Manowar. Me too. Luca yeah. Torelli and all those guys. I love no, all that stuff. I know it's Rhapsody. Yeah. I yeah. got that in my car. Yeah, I know Luca. Yeah. Oh, that's a story. I know. <laughs> anyway, so I'm living there, and we had this thing on the computers, like, where are the predators living? And I realized we were surrounded by sexual predators, and not, and they would tell what you. What year is this? Uh, this was 2004, 2005. And you're on the computer, and you're like, I'm just going to see where these motherfuckers live. And they're all in the neighborhood. I mean, right. I could have walked to like all it, the houses. Yeah, it looks and, like your entire city has zits. But there are child molesters, right. too. And I mean, it was a prison town, so I think they just got out Jesus. of prison. Jesus. Dude, I'm telling you. Man of War's got to find a new place to live. They, when, they, when they were born there, it was a nice town. And okay. see, they changed the rule about prisons. Right. When you get out of prison, you're supposed to move at least 30 miles and away And all of a sudden, your map looks like chicken pox. Yeah, because they changed the rules in upstate New York. So, I mean, it was horrible. You know, but it, it was still nice people. You get nice people, and then you get the prison people. Okay, and it was creepy. So anyway, they're around us, and I was like, hmm. you know, I, I I get a little angry when I hear about child molesters and stuff because, you know, we've all been children once. We have children. Right. We think about these things, and so I thought, I'm gonna because you know these are low budget movies, and I know one day a studio will tell me what to do and what not to do. Right. Why not explore what I need to explore now? Do what you in the blood. You know, I'm gonna be told what to do. Yeah. And then so I had a scene where we had this. Um, sexual molester type person um and we use a rubber penis for it too you know right, right, trying right. to see some bits but you know, he was sexually harassing a, a retarded person um really pushing the envelope here mr Johnson. i was pushing the envelope pretty badly okay and you see quite a lot it's pretty graphic it's not over graphic so not, he's trying to like pornographic yeah he's trying to rape this retarded person yeah it makes you know um, right it's, it's all done in silhouette. whatever yeah and then um, done in silhouette yeah, but okay. you, you kind of we caught the edge of the rubber penis okay, got on it. camera. So as, actually, my two editors were working for me. They played each role, so it was even really funny scene. Okay, but it's not when you watch it. Um, and so basically, the punishment for that guy who was a sexual molester is we cut off his penis and choked him to death with it. Right. And you know, in a really bad, violent way. Well, I don't think that's so bad. But you kind of see everything. It's just desserts. 
he just as far as I'm it. concerned. No, I, yeah, but that's, that's what I'm saying. You you wouldn't see that in a major motion picture though. Right. And actually see the you know, and you know I got a bit of meat stuffed in the back of the back of the rubber penis. And I thought I want to do that sort of message. And it's like okay, this is an art. It was an artistic choice. Right. I know it's very graphic and it's you know to try to make it, but it was too far. You know. No, I think stuff like like human centipedes too far. Yeah. I stuff that I, I feel like stuff that doesn't have a moral compass is too far. Yeah. Does that make sense? Like, like, what yeah. is the retribution for somebody who does the Human Centipede? Well, I don't know. He goes and gets a fucking sequel. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like, I like, it, like, is there a lesson? I mean, I'm not talking about the director. The director yeah. can do whatever he wants. But like, like, you're creating a piece of art or whatever that's like mm. pushing an envelope. But like, to what end? Yes. What are you actually saying with anything? Does that make sense? Yeah. And like, I worry about that stuff with it. And whenever I see like the torture porn stuff, I'm like, okay, well, are you, all you doing is choking, a, like keeping a, a puppy underwater? Because obviously, I don't think that's, mm. I don't think there's much to that. No. Like, obviously, you're gonna get a reaction, and that's not anything than like going up and like popping a balloon behind somebody's back. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think there's much to that. Mm. But actually, saying something about justice, saying something about like uh, morality, saying something about our role and. You know, judge, jury, executioner, vigilantism, whatever you want to do. Yeah. But like, add a layer to it at least. You know what I mean? Have something that comes have, have out it. of it. Yeah. I don't mind graphic for graphic. I don't mind that stuff. I mind stuff without zero, without consequence, because you've just wasted my two hours. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. If you like, don't like. I don't think you probably wasted two hours making this story about the dude who gets a dick shoved in his mouth. Yeah. Well, it, <laughs> you know what it, I mean? Yeah, exactly. Like, well, it wasn't. That was just a little of course, highlight of the story, of but it was. It came from a real place, you know, because I mean, I you know had a situation when I was a young boy, mm-hmm. and I, I know what it feels like to be on the. And you you put your show. own fucking inner rage, and you oh, worked yeah. through some shit with your two oh, editors yeah. and the, the 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 rubber penis. Oh hell yeah! You and know, you were that, angry. Yeah. Was it hard to shoot that scene? Yeah, it was a bit creepy. I'll be honest. The creepiest part of that was. What about writing that scene? Was it written? Was it? Did you ever have to put that scene on paper, yeah. or was it something that? No, no, we put it on paper. The, and what the was that like? Did, that didn't bother me. But it takes some trust to take somebody. I mean, did anybody so did, did anybody during the creation of that scene be like, "Hey, Neil, did this happen to you?" No. So, so, so there was a secret. Yeah, I guess. And so. Did that stress you out shooting the movie, knowing that you couldn't be artistically honest with your collaborators and be like, "Guys, this is why we're doing this. It's not just shock. I'm coming from." Do you think you? Does that make sense? Actually, like, I, like, I think one of my editors knows the story a bit. Because, like, as a, as an artist, I'm always thinking yeah. about like. Even if you're talking about fantasy or sci-fi, I'm always thinking about like, okay, what's the human core of this, and do you share the human core of this with with my actor or with my DP, so that they can go to their human core and shape their performance based on it. Yeah. Actually, and, and, and you, if you're keeping a secret, you may not have been able to go to that human core in order to get that out of them. Does that make sense? Or maybe yeah. that's not your way of working. I don't know. We're um, just talking. Well, here's the thing. You know, with actors, you, you kind of the, the secret is sometimes not to direct them. Right. Sometimes you just got to shut up and see what they have. Oh, I gave Doug Jones one of the worst fucking directions of all time. What would you say to him? No, I uh, just wanted to play something to camera, and, and I was like, you know, uh, play... I forgot what I did, but it was fucking stupid, and he just looked at me like I was an idiot. The crew looked at me like I was an idiot, mm-hmm. and guess what? I was an idiot, so I just had to quickly yeah, fix right. it. But it happens, I've you know what I mean? <laughs> and the crew's like, I didn't even fucking know what you wanted. Yeah. <laughs> like, everybody's looking at you like, what? What? Yeah. But we no, did it no. with Doug, which I well, love Doug. I've, I've worked with actors for years, and I, I, I've learned to stop directing them too much mm-hmm. because they know that if, if you get the right actors, they should know their job. Right. I, I like somebody trying to tell me how to direct is a bit silly because, you know, I've had people try to do this on the set sometimes. It's like, it's silly. No, it's like, right. dude, you know, they often don't know what they're doing, and it's like, it's very silly ideas usually. But sometimes, yes. Um, depends on the person. But 
I, I, I let them do their own thing first because they may give me something I didn't expect. Right. They may interpret the information that I put on the piece of paper differently. So I, I, this is what I did with Emmett. I think Emmett did know a little bit about my history, my, one of right. my editors, um, who was in the film, the bearded spastic. And it guy. seems like a closed set. If it's just you, your editors, oh, maybe was. a DP, maybe a, a sound guy. Yeah, it was. Actually, and it was like five people. Three. It was three. Two actors and me. And I set up the microphone on a boom pole. Oh, and I had the girlfriend in the room too. Um, and that was it, four people on set. Or else it would have gotten so gay. Oh, Put three really dudes fancy. in a rubber cock. You guys would have started making a different movie. Yes. Um, but like, but, but he sees what's it cathartic for you making that scene? Well, it, I'll tell you what creeped me out. There was a okay. point where he creeped in really close. And he's got a be he had a beard at the time. Right. Beards creep me out. Um, and he got in really close and he started whispering to him and snaking around him. And this, this, it's the touching. The cock bit, I didn't care about. Right. But it was the way he kind of got creepy with him and whispered in his ear and, and just snaked around his body. Were you having like mom flashbacks? Yeah. And I was like, oh my God. Without me saying anything, he, right. he encapsulated the spirit of that creep that I once encountered, you know, between the ages that, of six was, and ten. Six and ten, so there were several encounters. Four years. Four years? So there must have been somebody you fucking knew. Yeah, the neighbor. Do you still know this guy? Okay. You just need his address. Yeah, dude. Well, his brother is one of the most powerful lawyers in Australia. So it's I, if I went after him, it'd be, it'd be very hard to pursue. Right. No, um, no, no, we're not going to do it through the system. They were, they were tied in the I, they were tied in, yeah, exactly. They were, <laughs> they were tied in the IRA as well. They were our neighbors. Wow. Irish people. And very violent. You know, I mean, they were usually on our team anyway. That is so fucked up. Yeah. But that's, you know, this one of the sons was a bit fucked up. And that's who he was. And so, you know, that was the situation I was put in. The thing was, between the age of six and ten, you know, it wasn't every day. It was like maybe once a month. Sure. And he was doing just creepy stuff. And how much older was this kid? Well, he was 21. Jesus. So, and he, he smelled weird and he just had this weird hair and he had, you know, anyone who looks like that creeps me out to this day. But I, I, I hated it. You know, I like girls. When I was six, right. I like girls. I love girls. And, and this guy was coming over and doing You could have lost your damn virginity by 12. No, you know. Well, here's what happened. You know, he was doing weird shit to me and he I didn't like it. cost you some straight sex. He, yeah, for many years. I guess so. Was it hard to be intimate with a person? Did you have intimacy issues? No, no. This is so not Geekscape well, well, anymore, but I, I know, think it's I interesting. Well, here's, here's what happened. At the age of 10, I started doing karate, and right. I had this female karate instructor. She's a black belt, so right. tough. And she was making me break through um, roof tiles and bits of wood. That's why you like bloody titties. Yeah, probably. Right. Yeah, that's a bit of blood. So you're breaking through these boards. Yeah, you're like, you know, I, I was learning how to flies fight. and chopsticks, right? Yeah, I wish I could do that. Right. But he came over one day. I, just, I remember his words. I I'll just want to talk to you. This fucker said that? This kid, this kid came out? All the time. He by that time, he's like, what, 22, 23, 24? Yeah, he must have been at 23. Right. And he had girlfriends, he's old too. old enough to die, is what I'd yeah, say. Yeah, exactly. So keep going. So, so he came around to my house. He creeped around. I, what would happen is every day I'd walk home from school, from the bus, and I'd see him waiting for me in the porch, and every day he'd make a walk around the back to come and see me. And I would run home, and, and most of the times I would avoid him. Not answer the door, et cetera, et cetera. I would hide or go to the neighbor's right. place. And this was every, not every day, but it started to get become every day. Did you tell anybody this was going no, on? No. Like, that's so fucking Never told my parents. fucking hard. Never to this, I hope. Okay. Um, and he would just, you know, stalk me out every day, and I would get away. But one day, he caught me. And it was like, and he, he was coming across the drive. I remember it was in the back side of my house in the driveway, and he said, oh, I just want to talk to you. And I was like, and he got closer, and he oh, got no. closer. And he got closer and I made a fist and I punched the crap out of him. And I was short. I was the shortest kid in my class. Right. I punched him in the face and I thought, oh my God, I've hit an adult. And I ran and I ran to the neighbor's house. And you're 12. No, I was 10. 10. I was 10. 10. And I ran like How crazy. How hard could you have fucking punched him? You're a 10 year old. I think he was just shocked. Totally. Dude, I, I was, it was a big punch because I knew how to punch from, right. from Taekwondo. Right. From so Grace I, Jones. 
Yeah, exactly. Right. She knew it. She, she, she was like, you know, right. karate kid. But I, I ran like crazy. And I was like, I went to the neighbor's house and I stuck there the rest of the afternoon. And he was a mechanic. He was a nice, friendly person. They're Christian people right. on the other side. And I hung out there for ages. And I was like nervous as hell. And I went home at six o'clock. And he never touched me again. He never came near me again. And that was the thing. You know, I think he saw that there's some... I remember, right. stay away from me. And These fucking people, are, they're, they're predators. So like yeah. any resistance is enough to deter their... Yeah. Their, yeah. Well, I did this demon voice too. It's, oh, you know, shit. And that's the thing. You know, cause I, I like, like doing voices. So, you stay away from me. Like that. Right. And I, was, I hit him so hard and I ran like crazy. I mean, in reality, it was probably like, stand in danger. Exactly. <laughs> but he was six <laughs> foot... I, in my head, I was... You had to like jump to hit him? He was six foot two. You pulled some Ant-Man shit. He was big. Right. Yeah. yeah, and I ran like crazy. Right. But see, that was a turning point. That's where I learned my strength. Right. That's where I said, no, this is enough. You know, and I knew that was wrong. And yeah, you know, the thing, the thing was, you know, and you, you see the theme of my films, I would always pretend when he was doing his weird shit, I would pretend I was with a girl. Oh. And I had to because it was oh. like, I hate this. It's like, but that derails your ability to be intimate with a girl later on because you have no, tr- you know what I mean? Like, I feel no. like, I feel like maybe you didn't have a, a basis for an accurate representation of relationship or something like, yeah. like, like your marriage. You know what I mean? Like, like you had a short marriage. Yeah, but no, it's, you know, it, it did you know, it affect you, any of that stuff? A little it bit. Had well, to. well, here's what happened. I, I would pretend I was with a blonde girl because he had dark, creepy hair and short hair. So I imagine it was a and long, now you're a blonde girl. girl. I should. I am Holy shit! Oh my god, Neil, th- all Dude. this is falling out. Like, oh my god! Okay. Welcome to Geekscape. Shit's getting real. Oh my god! Yeah, I just, I just realized that. Well, I like when You've I got become your own fucking avoiding avoidance fantasies. Like, this is fucking weird, man. Well, what happened was you masturbate looking at yourself in the mirror. I should. Well, no, you shouldn't. It's Dude. just a continuation of the same shit you did when you were six ten. I, I, there's been a couple of times. I'm, I'm not going to even like, mention that someone is. There's a blonde woman in the house, in the in the room with us. Yeah, hello. Um, I, there was a time in Germany where there was a girl who looked. I had a girlfriend who looked exactly like me, and had the same hair and oh, everything. Neil, we were kissing I'm in the street out. in Cologne, and they're coming. The people, oh look, two girls are kissing. Ah ha ha ha! I turn around. It was a boy. I'm a boy, right. but it looked like two chicks. And I, I, I realized that most of the people I was going towards were kind of that, you know, strong female blonde type people. But if you look at the films, most of the characters are, are you know, there's a lot of strong female, especially in Starship. Look, look, look at yeah, her. Yeah, look, look at her. She's yeah. blonde, long I like, hair. And I like, they're strong. They play the roles of men. So, you know, it, it does come back. There you go. There's the, you, you can see it's and always Neil, a you theme. never wanted like, like, like gender reassignment surgery or anything like no, that? No, not at all. I, I like being a man. You know? <laughs> I've thought about it. No. Um, but it, it, it's, it's something that's just, I guess it's in my soul. So, you know, you can see lots of bits of me in my films. I even designed the costumes. I'm so responsible for the way the women look in the films. You know, I, I'm, I'm in love with fashion and hair and style and, and everything. So I want them to look specific. But it's, it's uh, you know, it's just it's where my head's at, you know? This is like, I mean, in all honesty, like like filmmaking should be as pure an extension. Of, I mean, I think any art should be as pure an extension of the artist as possible. Mm. With film, there are so many variables based on other people's input and collaboration yeah. that that it's it's really hard to lose yourself. Mm. But at the same time, you can't be an egotistical jerk, and it should be a collaboration. Should be. Oh, they, but, they have to be. But um, but I, I but I think that's a testament. The, the, well, that, like you put these things in here, knowing the history, knowing like some yeah. of the stu- personal stuff you've been through, or or your life, or your journey, as you called it la- earlier. Yeah. Um, 
I see, think that's I, I, nice, and I, and I think that's what will elevate you away from that asylum stuff. I don't think you have to fight against, like, like redundancy or any of this, or, or, or fight against, you know, derivative stuff. I think you just make your movies as honest as possible, and that's the only thing that can actually deliver you from derivation. Yeah. Like, like just make your movies as pure and as honest as possible, and that's how you avoid being a knockoff of Star Wars, or, oh, this is, they did that in BSG, yeah. or, I mean... If well, that's a cognizant fear that you have when you're shooting, I think it's like the person who drives and looks at the side of the road and ultimately hits the side of the road. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, the, 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 the problem is, and this is what I fight with, because you, you've hit the nail on the head, exactly what I fight with all the time is the fact that you, I make my living for my films. Right. That's it. I don't make money from I do music videos as well. Right. But that's pretty much it. This is my, this is my living. So I've can, I, if I want to just do pure Neil Johnson art, it may not sell. I've still got to think about... The dollar, of you course. Know, I've, I've got my movies right. have to, like Alien Armageddon. You can look at that, but the, there is a lot of me in that. If you really look at the movie, there's a lot Fuck of. Fuck yeah, you're an Armageddon. alien. You're living yeah. within a man's skin. Exactly. As a strong woman. Yeah, I'm a creature, but I mean, actually, yes. You, you haven't seen the film. You got to see it. Oh Jesus! You'll understand Neil. why. No, these, these slug creatures inside people. You're with like teeth. Natasha Hendricks' fucking species. Yeah, it's a bit like another that. strong blonde woman. Yeah. Oh, I know the yeah. chick from Terminator Three. Oh, no, Christina Logan. Yeah, Four. Christina Logan. Three. three. Yeah, Christina Logan. Oh my God. Yeah, the, no. The outfit, you know, the, everything about it, the hair tied back. Mm-hmm. So impressive. She was like that. in Blood Rain and stuff like that. Yeah. 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 God bless her. Yeah. <laughs> God bless a mortal soul. But you know, it, it's it's for me. You, you've got to walk the line. You have to sell. Like Alien Armageddon was probably my most successful movie, uh, profit wise. Right. Um, but. Humanity's End was more of me and you know it didn't make as much money but the weird thing is that is the most successful I get more fan mail from Alien, uh, from Humanity's End than any other movie and more talk about it because there's, there's a lot of me in that and you don't, you, do you want to do the Hollywood thing? of course you know what I just saw last night? Edge of Tomorrow how was it? it was fucking awesome I want to see that I was so not into the idea of watching Tom Cruise and Emily yeah. Blunt's Edge of Tomorrow I like everyone involved mm-hmm. But just the idea of it, I was like, okay, well, didn't we just get the Tom Cruise movie a few years ago that mm-hmm. looked pretty similar, and it's Tom Cruise shooting guns, and yes. and I liked that movie. Um, what was it called? Whether the white the white ball movie? Yeah, I liked that movie, yeah, yeah. but um, I wasn't too excited. I just went because it was a free screening. Our friends at Nerdist put on this free screening, and I took yeah. my wife and and I love the art direction and color grade in that. The movie is awesome. Mm. Tom Cruise, you know he. Has to relive the day Groundhog di- style, like yes. Groundhog Day style. He relives his day every time he dies on in combat. He has to go back to the same spot. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason for it isn't some miraculous random coincidence of the film. It's grounded in some science in the Good. film with the alien, you know, the aliens that they're battling that are invading uh-huh. the Earth, and they they accidentally cause him to have this power. Wow! And Emily Blunt's character has had it, and that's why she recognizes it. That's why she recognizes it. it. Okay. And not only is the movie awesome it's got like gears of war style action the movie's fucking hilarious wow because it's got comedy because oh it's got so much comedy in it because uh he basically has to do the perfect speed run if it's like if it's like a video game he has to basically Uh, play the video game he's trying to win the war right but he has to play the game perfectly every time and if he messes up he might as well go back to the beginning and hit the reset button. Wow. So he has I to... I know. I, I so, saw the so, trailer. So Emily Blunt or him have to kill him. Yeah. You know, to just to reset the day and be like, all right, well, we fucked up and we're not going to win the war. Let's try it again. And um, some of it's hilarious. Huh. Not only the way that he accidentally dies, mm. but um, just the scenarios he ends up finding. Because 
because he'll try different things. He'll be like, all right, well, that wasn't the right way to go. Yeah. Um, okay, let's try again. And it's really damn funny. Wow. And ultimately, it, it turned out to be a really good film that didn't break its own rules. Right. And the characters didn't have to act dumb for things to happen. Right. Well, see, yeah, and, that, and that's probably good. See, I like when I hear about movies like this. I thought it was great. Because it, it's, what it does, it opens up the doors for right. people like me to maybe get more you know, recognition, or not recognition, but, you know, my movies can be more popular. Right. We had a, a series of flops, I think it was like 2012. There was a whole bunch of movies. One year we had a whole bunch of movies that were all terrible. Right. And they were kind of sci-fi-like. And I thought, this is terrible because, you know, that means my movies are not going to be popular. It was like the Will Smith one. Yeah, and like yeah After yeah. Earth and stuff. Yeah. Which I didn't mind, but it just thought it was a bit, you know, you know what I was looking at and it was just too much for his son, you know. It was, right. It was, it was just like, man, I can see what they're doing here. But, but you, and that affects you. So there's a bit of a trickle down effect. Oh, a complete right. trickle down. You know, like, okay, I'll give you, I go back to Alien Armageddon. Um, and if you see the poster, now, if you, if you see the movie Cowboys versus Aliens. Totally. Okay. I what, see the post. You see the post? Like yeah. Guess who was first? Me. Alien Armageddon, right? Well, it, you know, and it's just, look, what, it's bad coincidence. I have a very similar pose. But you have the silhouette, cowboy yeah. head down. Yeah. 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 Okay. I wanted I remember a cowboy the Daniel, character. I remember the Daniel Craig character, or poster. Yeah, I remember and that. And it's almost the same pose. But, right. you know, I, I, I'm not saying they ripped me off. It's just how life goes. We, we, we got so many photos, and that was the pose that looked good. Because I didn't want to, you know, I just hate people facing the right. camera smiling. So, you know, that's how it looked. It looked good. But the idea originally was it was meant to be a ripoff of... Um, uh, well, not fo following the footsteps of Battle L.A. You know, right. that movie? Of course. Which was a big lead-up, but it didn't do so The Aaron well. Eckhart movie? No. Yeah. I think I'm the only one who saw it in the theater. No, I, I enjoyed it. Right. I thought it was good. But I thought it was cool. You know, it, it's I had the cowboy, cowboy character in there anyway, because I thought it was cool, because I was ripping on uh, Serenity. Right. And that's, that's, that's where my, you know, Firefly, that sort of thing. I wanted that sort of thing in there, because I wanted some guy who didn't talk much, who looked cool with a hat. And he's a, he was a Marlboro man, by the way. And he's an actor I knew. And I said, I wanted to stick him in a movie. So that's what it was. And next minute, you know, so we didn't capture the thunder of Battle L.A. But thankfully, Cowboys vs. Aliens came out. I had a very similar poster. It hit the market at the same time. And bang, we sold many, 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 many copies. 50,000 Blu-rays in, in Walmart. And the, and the funny thing is, uh, Alien Armageddon is probably uh, five times as good a movie. <laughs> no. Cowboys vs. Aliens. Did you read the original comic? Oh yeah, the it's original comic, different. but it's completely good. Yeah, but it's you can see why that idea sold. Yeah, but I mean, it's a great concept. It felt like a, it, it was way too many people in the pot. Like when you mm. see like ninety writers on the freaking screenplay, like it's a problem. Mm. You know, and I'm being yeah, no, I know. I'm exaggerating, but there yeah. were a lot of hands in that pot on the Cowboys and Aliens. Exactly, and it was. I look, the thing was, it was a slight commercial hit. You know, it did make sure. money. It did make a profit, and people were looking for that type of movie. And they got confused when they saw my movie, thinking it was the same movie, and Netflix. And More power to you. And that I was lucky, you see. Right. But that's the thing. You've got it comes back to that whole marketing thing. You've got to kind of think what's going to be hot now. You know, I happen to know there's going to be a Boba Fett movie coming out right. soon, and and I'm all over that because I live in the world of Boba Fett anyway. And there's a Star Wars Episode Seven movie coming out, so I'm so happy because I do those movies anyway. So it's got to have to be a bumper year for me next three years because um, I want to do those sort of movies, and I got those movies coming out. Um, but Did you see the Millennium Falcon set? The set? <laughs> Somebody freaking put online spy shots from like L Street Studios or someplace in London. No. They're building the Millennium Falcon. I heard, I heard rumors, but they, ha you, they have photos already online. They're building the Millennium Falcon. I've seen the Tatooine for episode seven. Oh, yeah. I'm kind of I'm kind of not cool with Tatooine. Like no. I don't believe like, it makes the world seem it makes the whole galaxy that seems so expansive as a kid's feel very 
small if they keep going back to effing Tatooine. I know. It's like, how often are you in freaking uh, Corona? Not often. Yeah, but what if you kept ending up there, even though it's the ass end of the universe? I could say that. It's happened to me about Canoga Park, yeah. Yeah, I know, it's a horrible feeling. Right. Um, but though, have you seen the images from Tatooine? Because yeah, well, he did that whole video. JJ Abrams did that whole fence. video. Yeah. No, but there's other photos from uh, from TMZ and Daily okay. Mail, and they they got this giant fence, and they got these these big giant machines. It looks to me like Tatooine has become a prison planet or something, or something Let's like that. Let's do it. It looks cool. Shake it up. Yeah. Yeah, I I think they're trying trying something different. It doesn't look like the Tatooine we know, because they're they it it looks a little interesting. It doesn't I look like Narshada. Narshada. The Smuggler's Moon that was in Dark Empire. Oh, wouldn't that be nice? That'd be awesome. That's yeah. Well, that's a bit like Coruscant, though. Right. You know, it's the same sort of vibe. Mm-hmm. This one's all dark, nasty. Yeah. Well, see, Dark Empire was my one of my favorite comics. That had a lot of influence on me. Mm-hmm. The, the Dark Empire comic. Yeah. How do you feel about all this? Uh, you know, the 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 expanded universe being collapsed and thrown out. That's a good thing. Yeah. It's, it's Some of it is crap. Yeah, I, I, I started, look, when they, when they, I started reading all the Star Wars novels, right. like the Crystal Star came out, yep. Von der Mac, uh, good writers, but Star Trek writers, and it's not Star Wars, and it just said, uh, I started getting bored with it, and I just, once they got to the, the Yuuzhan Vong and all that stuff, and the expand, I just, I just lost interest, it wasn't Star Wars for me. And you I, were like a 35-year-old man reading this stuff. Yeah, yeah, I was. Holy but shit. But I, I stopped, you know, I slowed down a bit, you, you know, I was, I was eating it up as a kid, you know, right. Splinter of the Mind's Eye. Totally. Dude. That, remember that was supposed to be the sequel to fucking New Hope? I had a kid when I was young. And this guy, you know, I was very stupid when I was young, you know, and, and um, gullible. And so some, I read that book like six times, the novel, back to back, 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 over and over. In the think, Al Williamson comic strips? Oh, I never saw those. That bridge. Yeah. Dark Horse reprinted I know, I've read them They, they bridged New Hope and Empire. And yeah. that, like, to me, that is the definitive bridge between New Hope and Death yeah. Empire. Oh, the, the yeah, Williamson stuff. But I, awesome. we, I, all I had was a novel. It's the only right. spin-off thing. So I had to read that six times over. And I studied that cover with And you didn't get like, the Lando or the Han Solo novels that were coming They're out? They're okay, but it's not Luke Skywalker. And but Darth you find Vader. out where like, Han Solo got the scar. Oh, yeah, yeah. They did oh, they that. Lost, he fought the, the pirates. The lost legacy and stuff. Right. But I had a kid who told me, oh, yeah, I've seen the new Star Wars movie. And I started questioning him. You've seen Splinter of the Mind's Eye? Yes, I have. We got it on a VHS in high school. I was still in, you know, um, different, you know, and... Right. What do you call it? Uh, I was in secondary, primary, school, primary. Call it. Yeah. So we we were and and he told me all about this Star Wars movie called Splinter of the Mind's Eye that he'd seen and he was just he's lying to me and I spent a year and a half waiting for Splinter of the Mind's Eye to come out as a movie because we had no information right. in Australia we were isolated and I had all these images and visions and I started seeing pictures from Empire Strikes Back and I thought that must be the scene where. Luke Skywalker <laughs> was kissing Princess Leia because it was Han Solo. I, right. I was so obsessed with the fact that it was going to be a... Splinter of the Mind's Eye yeah, movie. Yeah, I thought that, that must be the scene. I was trying to piece it together. Hey, and what's that snow there? Why is there snow on this planet? And, and then I honestly thought the first picture, is in Newsweek, there was an image of Han Solo kissing Princess Leia. Right. And I, I swore blind that it was Luke Skywalker. I didn't think for one second that Han Solo could ever kiss Princess Leia. Right. I was wrong. Yeah, you're young and idealistic. So, when does Starship Rising come out? Uh, Starship Rising, I believe, comes out in August. We've got a deal through Phase Four in the US. Um, it's also coming out in Japan and Germany and France and UK, um, Russia. Why should the audience watch this movie? I, I would say, I'm not sure yet. Like, what's I, it about? I, oh, why should they watch it? Yeah, or when? yeah. Oh, why? 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 Well, it's from the heart. That's the first thing I can say. Um, it's, there's a lot of, I, I, I call it an angry version of Star Trek. There's a lot of reaction in me to nice, happy movies. And right. so it's, it's a very, 
I, I, I just went, I just went into my soul and went a little dark with it. And it's, it's me. And I, it's, it's very high energy. My big inspiration for it was there's a few minutes in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Yeah. When Kirk and, and Khan are battling it out in the Mutara Nebula. And, you know, and that was the most exciting bit of the movie. So I kind of, that was the genesis for the film. And it's all about big starships battling it out in space and, and blowing shit up. And, and there's an energy in the film. And I still watch certain scenes of the movie and I get excited. I get jacked. That's cool. It's like, wow, this is so cool. So I made the movie I want to see. And that's all I can say about it. it. It's, you know, it's about a man's rise up from, from, you know, poverty into becoming a Starship captain. And I've actually already shot Starship 2, by the way. It's already in the can. It's, we've got a rough cut. And that continues the story. So if you get invested in Starship Rising, you can, you can wait another six months or a year, you'll see Starship Apocalypse. And it, tell, it continues the story. It's part one and part Isn't two. Isn't the Apocalypse the end, though? You well, should have, yeah. like, it's rising... And then the middle is be like risen, yeah. and then still ri- still, still risen, risen, and then like nearly there, like kind of getting soft. That's like a boner. Yeah. <laughs> Starship primed, Starship exploded, and Starship Starship cleaning his pants. Starship, I'm spent. <laughs> Starship tired, can't get well, up he, again. Here's another thing. I, I, so there's two, or there's gonna be three. Well, I, I'm still debating, but who's gonna make them? I, I, I've got the characters and, and I'm, I'm in love with certain characters right. in the movie so I want to keep bringing them back so you invest in this movie you don't get one you're going to get two maybe three or four I'm doing movies in two lots now like one and two together I do two okay. movies together now because right. it's financial reasons but it's also you know I love making these movies I love the characters you watch the second movie the characters come to life how fast do you write these things? Very fast. I know. It's like you make these movies so fucking fast. Well, how can they be cohesive or like any, like, how do they even make mm, sense? Um, again, it comes back to structure. You right. have to structure things first. It's very important. And I work out the structure. And I've done enough movies now to know what to do. But, you know, you've got to remember it's in my soul. So right. when I write, I'm, I'm writing with a fervor. I'm, right. I'm like, if I had to write a, a, a cop, cop, you know, right. something, if I had to write Miami Vice, for example, right. you know, I know that's your thing. Yeah. I couldn't do it. Oh, because I have to research stuff. It gets exactly. bo- but it gets boring to me. But see, for me, if I'm writing about outer space, right? I it's like this light turns on in my head. Oh, and I'm just like gone, and I just go, and it's all there. I've already existed in this world. I've lived in this world already for for, for my whole life. So it's right. it's not it's not work, you know. I'm so happy. So what when you see Starship, you, you're going to see passion and, and energy <laughs> and you know I, I don't want to say the oversell plot, it or whatever what is da 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 right. you know I've invested more than just one movie you know I've invested a, a year and a half of my life in this movie maybe two years by the time it's done and so people deserve to see that you know it's not like oh this is a job I'm paid to do it this is two, two years of my life and this is a big part of my soul so you know whether you you know whether it will resonate with you or not I can't answer that but I know it's from inside. And the second movie is, is even more me. Because you see the characters come to life and it's fantastic, you know, when, when you see the characters. Hurry up with movie. that one too. I'm trying. But I've got, I've got another movie I'm finishing, Death Machine. It's a... Uh, Jesus, I, kid. I know, I, I'm in post-production and so many movies. And that, that's a film I shot in the UK. Um, and that's another situation. How many days do you shoot this movie? I mean, how many days do you take? You, like, you shoot these things over 12, 14 days? 15 on each. 15, yeah. yeah. And there's a lot of action. Because, I, mean, I mean, 12, 14, 15, that's aggressive. There's a lot of action in this shit too. Right. It's it's, it's a lot of how fighting. Many, I mean, so how many setups do you try and do in a day? I've never counted. I, I will usually, well, I I because action is like yeah a I shit ton. I, I well okay usually my one rule camera is, two cameras how many cameras depends on the film I've shot with thirty two cameras sometimes 
Right. Yeah, the, that's like that. the crank guys. You know, the crank. Yeah. They usually do crank. They do that kind of stuff. One or two cameras usually. Right. Always on the red or in 4K and right. everything else. But um, it will always be two cameras from here on in. You know, because I, I, I work better with more cameras. I'm a freak, you know. I, right. My brain goes too fast, and this is my day job. So I can... I can you, you can get the coverage and get the close-ups yeah, at the same yeah. time. Yeah. I, I, you know, I've got ideas going. Mm -hmm. um, but let's see. Yeah. Look, if I'm doing action, seven and a half pages a day. Right. If I'm doing dialogue, dialogue ten pages a day. And that ten pages means uh, ten minutes of finished right. film. Right, But it just depends on the day. But those seven minutes of, uh, those seven pages of action are going to be like Dude, two minutes I, of film. I push it like crazy. Right. I, I, I'm ramming it down as quick as I can, but I'm, I'm excited. And, you know, what i got coming up next is, is like, I've, I've, I'm giving myself a break. I'm going to do five pages a day instead of ten. And, I, or, and if it's action, I'm going to do four pages. Or so three. you're shooting at a TV pace? At the moment, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's complete TV pace. Sometimes, some days I do 12 pages. Right. You know, you just got to do what you got to do. But I, I, I'm just so sick of rushing things. Yes. I want to find the art in the moment. I want to find the, the soul of that moment. And each moment is worth having. And you know, I don't have the budget to, to spend time spending weeks and months shooting movies. I want this now. I right. need this. I, I, I'm so over rushing stuff. I've had to rush it just to make a living. Otherwise, if, if I don't make my movie and finish it in time, I'm on the street. Right, but you see the compromise in doing it that way. You, you have yeah. to. Otherwise, I mean, I've had to steal food a couple of times during the production of this movie. Motherfucker, I'll bring you some shit. No, you got a Popeye's okay. over here on no, like no, North no, Hollywood? No. I'm fucking with you. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> you work in Popeye's? Taco Bell. You work in Taco Bell? <laughs> no. Can you get me some food? No. Um, but it, yeah, it, it comes, comes down to that. You, right. You, you, you know, it's like... I, I love watching Z Z um, Zack Snyder do films or right. you know anyone like that and I respect the crap out of them I even respect Michael Bay because of course there's dude, a little Michael Bay in all of us well he said every stripper in LA exactly <laughs> um, God bless his mortal soul <laughs> that's a joke that somebody I wrote I, I tweeted there's a little Michael Bay in all of us oh dear and then somebody uh, re re responded with that response said every stripper in LA yeah, <laughs> I thought that was so fucking funny yeah I, I don't blame him for going down that path but, but you know why wouldn't you it's bombastic and his movies are literally the highest grossing movies that year they're so well made they I mean well everything but the script yeah, so well made yeah, right and I, I look I get where his head's at it's not me it's definitely not me and I mean I'm more David Lynch if you want to know what I, you know, I want to be is David Lynch right um, but I end up becoming more like towards Zack Snyder like, like um, Sucker Punch yeah you know, that's a movie you can watch once, and, you, and the second time it's more interesting. I, I watch it as a work of art. I wrote, like, a defense article for that. Yeah? Because okay. people were hating on it. And, yeah. And do you guys remember that? You, long, time, long time Geekscapist, I wrote an article saying it's not Zack Snyder, it's you. And it's like, I started being hypercritical nerds. And I was just kind of criticizing us as hypercritical nerds. Well, I was told by a friend that Zack Snyder read that article. <gasps> no like, way. Like a week or two ago, he read it. Good on you. And thought it was fucking awesome. Yeah. So, but Zack Snyder never called me. But, he should have, uh, he should have, but I mean, it's like, it, but he got the same kind of criticism after Superman. I was like, okay. Yeah. But I, I, I like his shit. I, yeah, I, I love him. I really like his work. I, I get him. Yeah. I understand him. And uh, yeah, Superman, I, I ate up. I know that, you know, everyone has their problems with this and that. But right. Superman was, and I listened to your, your, your episode on Superman. Yeah. Before I saw the film, right? So Whoa, I, why'd you do that? Dude, Spoilers. I, I, I listen to your podcast all right. the time, and I, I, I listen and I, I listened to it twice, right? And then I watched the film, and I, I, I was really enjoyed the movie. I, I, you know, I was like, this is intriguing. Yeah, you know, a couple of things I would have done differently. Sure. But the guy's a genius. I don't care what anyone says. He, if you can get to that level, I, I bust my balls to right. make my shitty movies. Right. And I bust my balls. And, and I look at somebody who can pull off something like that on that level, that level budget, and most of it's green screen, 
and that's the hardest thing to do when you're doing Absolutely. stuff in green screen. And you can still Which get. Which is why Gravity got the best film. Like it's why Alfonso Cuarón got yeah. best director because like that movie on a technical level is like mind-boggling. But look at it on, a, on an emotional level. Right. And this is the problem I'm dealing with, with in Starship One, and it's lesson two was you know it's all green screen by the way. Right. No, not all. Ninety percent, fifty percent green right. screen. Um, it is so hard to get a good performance out of actors and get that emotion on, when you're on a green screen stage. When you're on the real location, it changes everything. And it's right. you try, you do your best, you push it this way, that way, but you still, it just doesn't have that same texture. And if you look at somebody like... Um, Michael Bay, Zack Snyder. Yeah. yeah. And they can get an emotional reaction out of people and, and really capture the real moment there. I, I have a ton of respect for that. That being said, next movie, I ain't going to do any green screen. I'm going to be all on location, and I'm just, you know, and I got a couple of things up my sleeve very soon. I'm about to do the real Neil Johnson art movies. I'm going to say fuck the, fuck the marketing, fuck trying to rip off another movie or follow oh, the back of a blockbuster. Yeah. I've, I've got two up my sleeve, and I'm about to do those. But uh, to pay, you got to pay the penance. So I'm going to do a couple more, you know. Um, so you can afford the month that you go and make your art film. A few months. Okay, it's gonna be it's gonna you know I, it'll you're probably running around like Van Nuys in North Hollywood making your movie. I'm gonna I'm doing one in Van Nuys next. Let's fucking do it. Yeah, you know it's but I, I I'm I'm paying that penance now so I can earn the right to do an art film. Sure, still still gonna be marketable and sci-fi. I was telling uh, the meeting I had before I came over here. I was telling this this young kid. I was like one for you, do one for them, one for you, one for yeah. them, one for you. Well, it's, for me, it's three 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 for them, one for me. Right, because I you know I, I've you've got a the market's changing. Right. This is what people don't know about the film industry. Oh, if three, five years ago it was a certain way. If you want to make a movie and sell it now, your, your window is narrow, so much narrower than what it used to be. And I can make sci-fi and I can sell it and I can make a profit, not a big profit, but I can make a little living from it. And, you know, if I was doing drama, I would be screwed right now. I'd have a real job. Right. You know, I'm glad I do sci-fi. It's the hardest thing to do, but that's why it takes so long, so much work. Nobody else can do what I do. Right. And that's the thing. I want to do, if I want to do a movie, da-da-da-da-da, I can now dream it, I can do it. But you do the effects and editing and all that stuff for yourself? Well, the editing, I've, I'm now palming off to some other people. I've often had right. editors. I, I do it if I have to. I do the final polish myself. Sure. You should the, sit down on The that. effects, you know, it's a 50-50 thing. Uh, it's mostly me. Is it every single, I mean, if you're green screen, every single one of your shots is an effect. Yeah, dude, it's, it kills me. Yeah. I'm doing it in 4K resolution. For those who don't know what that is, that's a... Those are crunchy files. That's a Those files are pretty damn gigantically crunchy. Gigantically. So usually you're work, you're not working at them with full res, you're, and then you're assembling them later. Like, it's pre, it's a pretty nasty process, and it you is. need a pretty damn fast computer to be doing it. Computers. Banks are computers. Banks uh, are computers. 12 terabytes of data is what I'm currently hooked up it's with. It's Geekscape. They know what you're talking yeah, about. you know what a terabyte is. Yeah, I, I, is. I, in, this, in my place, I have 200 terabytes of... Yeah. Yeah. So the so the 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 great Van Nuys uh, fire of 2015 will know where it originated. No, I have a I have a safe with my backups. <laughs> yeah, it, it doesn't keep the damn apartment from burning down. That's true. Yeah. Um, Neil, August we're going to be looking for the Starship yes. movie. Yes. Uh, let's do something at Comic Con too. Yeah, we'll, we'll be there. Uh, I'm I'm going to be there for possibly for Space Command. I'm sort of involved with that. Well, you know, they come to the booth every summer, so yeah. you'll be doing Oh, okay. That. Be, okay. Yeah. That's and what I'm saying. I'm like, we have our booth. Come do yeah. something with our with us at our booth. Yeah, and Nobility was the other thing, too. Yeah, um, EJ stuff. Well, yeah. You guys remember Cass Anvar and EJ being on the show a few months ago. Yeah. Um, talking about that. Cass yeah. from uh, Assassin's Creed. Assassin's Creed. Yeah. That's a comedy. Sci-fi comedy. It makes me so happy. No, I think you're a funny guy. That's a funny show. EJ's a funny guy. Well, I'm not going to talk about somebody's looks when he's not here. Yeah. <coughs> um, so, guys, where can we find Neil Johnson's stuff online? Uh, the best way to go is www.empire.com, but E-M minus sign, minus P-I-R-E, 
E M minus P I R E. Empire. Yeah, I can see any. I, I got it. My company's Empire Motion Pictures. It's the only one I could get. Yeah, it's close. like a gang thing. E M P I R E. Yeah, exactly. Com. It's a bit 90s, isn't it? No, well, yeah, I wasn't. Okay, yeah, I said it. Is, it. it is. Um, go for it. It's not a GeoCities site. Like, it's, yeah. like, yeah, it's just right. a website, and you can link to buy the movies on Amazon and everything right. else. And you know, the and are these things on like Netflix and stuff like that? So a lot of it is, yeah. Uh, Alien Dawn, which is a rip-off of War of the Worlds, by the way, and it is War of the Worlds. So right. I wasn't allowed to call it War of the Worlds. Right. But I did a War of the Worlds. I want to watch that one. Yeah, I'll give you, yeah. I like Alien Dawn. Yeah. Well, Alien Dawn, Alien Armageddon. Uh, I don't know where Humanity's End is because the distribution company went broke. I want that to get released again. You can buy it online. I know I have some through the website or something, but, you know, this stuff is hard to get because I've been doing this for since 97. Just go to Australia and join a cult. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm just joking. Oh, that, 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 I should put that documentary up actually. Right. Please do. Cult. It's on the DVD. It's on the it's on the bipolar Armageddon slash Nephilim uh, box two set. Pack. Yeah, the box set. Yeah. yeah, Best Buy. Squeezed onto one disc. <laughs> um, but it's on that DVD. They're like uh, MPEG fours, are all nasty, and they look all. Gr- they're not too bad. No. All right. Um, so there it is. M pyrecom Um, obviously you can find him probably on Twitter. I don't tweet very well. I, I know, on Twitter, but like yeah. Facebook and all Facebook, that stuff. Director Neil Johnson on Facebook. Um, apparently, I'm tweeting Instagram. I'm tweeting lots of photos from the set and pictures of me eating. Cool. You know. And we're Geekscape. We're going to go to E3 next week, and we're going to play some video games. And so be looking at our YouTube channel, Geekscape.net, and uh, or Geekscape TV, and we'll be finding all these videos. And then, of course, we'll be at Comic Con with Neil yes. uh, in July. And uh, keep checking Geekscape.net and our Facebook and Twitter for all that stuff. You know, we're real easy. So. Um, we'll be talking to Neil again in August when the Starship Rising yes. oh, r- and I, rises. I gotta say one thing. Yeah, go for it. You did that April Fool's joke with the Nerdist thing. Yeah, yeah. We we said Geekscape was bought by Nerdist. I believed you. I know you stopped subscribing. I, to the I show. stopped listening to the show, and, and I was like, I saw you I was like, at what? WonderCon. I saw you, and you're like, why are you not doing the show anymore? I said, what are you talking about? Yeah. It was an April Fool's joke, Neil. No, but it wasn't. I can't a, stop doing Geekscape. I know. I, I dude, I was so happy. <laughs> I, I, had to, I had to catch up with all the episodes. I was so That's happy. That's so damn funny. No you hate idea. Nerdist that much. Well, I don't know. Who, who had the Nerdist? <laughs> I didn't listen to Geekscape. I right. don't listen to Nerdist. I know, I know. Uh, should I? Uh, whatever. Cool? They're, they're the reasons I, I got to see um, the, the movie last night. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, okay. they're fine. They're, they're cool. Supporting. They're our friends. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Geekscape. We'll see you guys on the next episode. Neil, thanks for joining us. Thank you, sir.